Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. In this episode, uh, we are going to talk, I have my friend X back on the podcast, and we are going to talk about the Barbie film. We're going to break it down a little bit. And uh, so, yes, without further ado, welcome back, X. I'm glad to be back. This goes kind of without saying, and it feels a bit light in the game, but if you have not seen Barbie, this is full of spoilers, so... Maybe pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back. Yeah. Yes. It feels like everyone has watched it. But just in case you were saving it for a special occasion, goodness knows why, we will spoil it for you. We will spoil Anyways, it. With that yeah. in mind, we will go on. <laughs> yes. I quite enjoyed the movie overall. I, I felt like it was a good um, representation uh, of what of what patriarchy looks like or can look like not that it was like of course not that it was like showing the whole full um picture uh, but i think in in with what they were able to do in with that kind of film with you know that that it was a, a good um a good representation and and kind of a i guess like you called it the the you called it feminism one o one o one I think. At one point, yeah, one when point. I was talking to you about doing this podcast, um, it was feminism one o one, kind mm-hmm. of you know an all entry level. You could be five and it still makes sense to you, but if you're older than that, you don't feel like a complete idiot or like you're being spoken down to. You kind of feel like you are seen in it. You're reflected mm-hmm. back in it, especially if you're a woman. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's very one o one. There's not much going on in terms of nuances and things which we'll get back to later i mean there are some but it's it's a much more expansive subject and i think to expect a film based on toys and sponsored by one of the biggest toy companies in the world i think it's a bit strange for people to then be disappointed by the fact that it didn't solve all feminist problems Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah i just think that it was it was good it was um it kind of helped see from an outside perspective how things worked in Barbie land and then when Ken and Barbie travel to the real world. Barbie world is more of an idealistic utopian world and when they see the real world and I think it's from from those two different perspectives where Barbie is realizing how she's not taken as seriously. Ken is also not taken particularly seriously. They travel from Barbie land to the real world using an enormous amount of Barbie memorabilia, which is product placement, which is all very fun. And so they arrive in uh, Los Angeles, rollerblading Santa Monica Beach. Barbie starts under, like, she's never had to feel self-conscious before because Mm. in the world where she is, she's allowed to exist without being judged all the time. I mean, that's the thing about Barbie. Even the Kens in in Barbie world are just who they are. There's not much judgment apart from one character, but we'll get to her later. They just sort of exist and do Mm -hmm. things and everything's great and there's no, at least amongst the Barbies, very, there's no competition. Everyone's sort of in their own world with their own roles and they're very focused on those roles. So when she comes into this real world and all of a sudden straight men are looking at her and she's like, why are people whistling at me? What is this? Don't feel comfortable. What is this feeling? I don't know why I feel uncomfortable. I just feel like I should feel uncomfortable. And Ken's going, I don't get anything that you're getting that I feel respected and admired. Looked at, but without making it, without the undertone of violence. And Barbara's like, oh, no, mine definitely has an undertone of violence. Like, there's something there. Which is quite funny, is this idea that you're in constant danger for some reason. And what's interesting about Ken is because he's a 
blank slate character. Like, there's not much going on for Ken. As an idea, even from the perspective of the audience, it's a bit like watching a little boy who's allowed to be anything he wants to be discover what quote-unquote being a man is. Ken goes to Century City in Los Angeles, which is this huge complex full of gyms and horses and tiny beer fridges and like you know and, and a whole bunch of other things and he's takes it all in because he's never seen anything like that before and he decides that's his new personality now yeah. he's going to be stallone in a fur jacket beating you know not beating people up but but throwing things and saying no to secretaries and mm. getting in huge hummer vehicles like he's what is all of this right and yeah. it's, it's supposed to kind of be like a lot of little boys are told Hopefully less and less so, but they see these things and it's put in advertisements and films like this is what makes you cool. This is what makes you respected. And that's sort of where everything starts to change. The journeys kind of diverge. A man finding himself and a Barbie deciding that she is who she is. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I started noticing, you know, once they got to L.A., um, definitely in that first scene, I was already able to notice you know, the way that each one of them is treated is, is very different. And then also, what did you think of the the girl, the little girl? So one of the reasons yeah, she goes is because she's there's a portal ripped in the world mm -hmm. between Barbie land, real land. And Barbie starts malfunctioning in Barbie land. Mm -hmm. so it, she has thoughts of death. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where they're all having a party and everything's going great in Barbie land. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of it, she just goes, hey, does anyone ever think about death? And I turned to my friend, I'm like, that is me at parties. That, that is, that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's me. I like, I related to that as like a neurodivergent thing as well. Like, I would... and all of a sudden you're like, is anyone else thinking about death? And everything <laughs> just comes to a crash. Yeah. Like, oh, you said that out loud. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Uh... But yeah, so she goes off to try and fix this. And she thinks that the girl who's, who's playing with her or who used to play with her is sad. We like the girl's mom because the girl's a preteen now and is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of moving away from her mother as a lot of preteens do. And the mother's yeah. feeling sad. So she starts playing with the Barbie and projecting her own feelings about death and cellulite mm -hmm. and self-consciousness. But of course, Barbie doesn't know this. And so she goes to find this girl named Sasha. You're, you asked what I thought about Sasha, correct? Uh, what do you think about when Sasha says, because I think there's this scene when where, where Sasha's with her friends. Oh, yeah. um, that's excellent. That's a critique of girls in, like, in school, because that scene where Sasha's sitting with her friends, there's that probably very neurodivergent girl who stops them. She's been given in her in her school the role of being like, you can't be part of the group, but you can mm -hmm. be like a security guard. We've given you a task, you know, as a way of getting into the group. It's a bit how girl cliques work. Mm. The fact that girls are so mean to each other and to everyone else. Get that a little bit, that critique where Barbie comes in. They're all looking at her as these very you know aware gen z kids going you're supporting consumerism and capitalism and at one point you know they make some very good points and then sasha ends her tirade to barbie by saying you have to stop doing this you fascist mm -hmm. which is hilarious because as barbie later points out while she's crying i'm not a fascist i don't control the port of commerce or the railways like it's just yeah very good critiques that these young girls are learning about of, mm -hmm. about body image and stuff that they very rudely yeah exactly that's what i was curious about so like these are very self-aware young girls and they've been made to be self-aware by the society they live in but they're also preteens. so then she just ends the entire tirade with you fascist you know it brings you back to reality that they're still figuring stuff out mm -hmm. <laughs> barney's not technically a fascist she's yeah. a doll what did you think of them saying that that barbie was realistic standard 
it was the first doll that wasn't a baby doll. Barbie was the first doll that any girl probably had that wasn't an animal. That had, again, her own home, her own job. If you wanted to add a baby, you could, as there were different iterations of Barbie, but it was an accessory. If you wanted her to have a boyfriend, Ken was an accessory, right? The point was that Barbie had all of this and she had options, which is yeah. incredible when you think about it. That, that mm-hmm. didn't happen until then. Do you think, thinking about like body image and do you think it was, I mean, not that it would intentional at the time, but do you think it could be interpreted as by some as fat phobic? Like the idea that there's like only skinny Barbies that you don't see fat Barbies? Of course it's fat, it was fat phobic. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was necessarily the, the creator's choice, but it, I think she definitely grew up in a, in a society. We're still growing up in that society. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about it more where you had to be that size, which they do kind of, there's moments in the film where they have some lovely actors who are, you know, what people would call plus size or fat, and they're gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. But I do remember watching that film going, they do not have those out yet. Like, there's there's disabled Barbie, sure. There's wheelchair Barbie. There's black Barbie. I have not, I've yet seen plus size Barbie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I haven't seen a properly plus size Barbie. That would be really great if it was reflected back in the real world. Because she was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But I think it's part of that is reflecting back the patriarchy so it can be sold. Mm. Because mothers are going to buy these toys for their children because they think it's going to be popular or because they think it's okay to buy it for them. And if these mothers are trying, are trying to help their daughters survive when this daughter, you know, this Barbie first came out, they don't want to let the daughters know that it's actually okay to be fat because it wasn't and it's still not appreciated in our society. It was unhelpful, but they were trying to get, tell their daughters, no one will like you, you will not be able to have a bank account because you won't be married because you had to, you know, have a husband in order to have a bank account. In order to do that, in order to survive, you need to look like a certain image. And so I think that probably had more to do with the way that Barbie looked as an actual, than an actual cognitive choice for the person who did it. This film, in a very kind of roundabout way, hints at is that Barbie is a product of her time. When Barbie hears all of this in that scene, she goes... Well, Barbie can be all these other things. And she's like, but, you know, she's like, look at yourself. And then she's wearing this pink costume. She, Margot Robbie is Margot Robbie. She looks flawless. She's very, she's quite, you know, toned and thin and proportioned in a way that most people would consider, quote unquote, perfect. And she looks at herself as Barbie goes, well, I am technically stereotypical Barbie. Yes, but Barbie doesn't have to be all of this, right? So there's this kind of dig at, she is what you think of. That's what's been proposed as what you should look at. She is Barbie. When you think of Barbie, I am Barbie. And it's developed into different things, not necessarily because Mattel wanted to do it, but because it made money. (laughs) You know, with quite a bit of fighting, which they also acknowledge in the film. They have Mattel kind of employees and CEOs being kind of pitched all these Barbie ideas. And they'll be like, oh, that wouldn't work. And they're like, actually, that would make quite a bit of money if we just made average Barbie. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. It's not, not driven by the idea that it should be helping people. It's driven by the idea that people want to see themselves represented and are finally realizing they are allowed to ask to be represented. And that's what's driven Barbie to become different things. Not that Barbie was intended to be that way, mm-hmm. which is I think what that entire conversation is about, is if you give Barbie to a young girl and go, so here's what an adult woman looks like, and she doesn't see herself in any way, shape, or form. That's what, you know, the sort of, like, white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalistic society comes in, because that's the only, and it's reflected in the amount of dolls that they create. Yeah. What did you think, like, as the film went on? Um, Ken comes back, 
from the real world and instates patriarchy in Barbie land. And the Barbies sort of just go with it because they have no defenses against it. It's explained it's like smallpox. And it is incredibly childish. It's hilarious. You know, it's a toy. So the consequences are very low stakes. The way that Barbies are treated or and then they treat the Kens is like a sexy mother who's not allowed to be a mother, but is a sex object, but also is treating these Kens like toddlers. They're giving them bottles of beer going, here's your brewski beer, it's coming in for a landing. Brrr, you know, like, it's infantilizing and they love it, mm. which is ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous, but that is kind of how people are treating men. The boys will be boys. Oh, he can't clean that up. He didn't notice because mm. he's a guy. Well, it's because you're treating him like a child and therefore he's acting like a child. Mm. But of course, they see themselves as men, which is the disconnect. Right? Yeah. If someone in, in, in the actual world, when women are trying to do everything or a straight woman gets married to a man in a certain culture, all of a sudden they're, they're made you know, in certain instances. But yet they can't say anything. They can't do anything about it because then it's a critique of that. And then the men get to go, oh, but you're nagging, you're doing this, you're not my mom. Well, that, you know, your wife is your mom if you're treating her like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of do a dig at that. And, and as uh, Ken calls it, Kendom land. Mm-hmm. Kendom yeah. land. Ken. It's a superfluous way of putting it. Just the same way he calls what he turns the Barbie dream house into Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Which is, to be fair to him, a lot of fun to say, but also makes absolutely mm-hmm. no sense. Yeah, no, no sense. Yeah. But the way they treat the Barbies is quite mean. They even, you know, they, they try to overtake the government and yeah. they take homes. And there's this one scene where, you know, the Barbies are planning to get it back and Barbie's being made over. And she goes, I could just, I don't want to hurt Ken. And the human who came back to Barbie land with her goes, he stole your house. He brainwashed your friends. He's trying to overtake the government. And I think almost every single woman I know has had that conversation at some point or some iteration of that conversation with their girlfriends where they've been, you know, the girlfriend will go, they were slightly emotionally abusive or whatever, but I don't want to hurt them. And you're like, they yelled at you. They told you you were worthless. They kicked you out of your own home. You sure this is, (laughs) we're conditioned as women to not feel like we can't hurt these people when all they do is hurt us. And I'm not saying the answer to that is violence, but (laughs) the difference between... Barbie's not treating Ken's main objects because they are created as accessories. Is as close to patriarchy and the opposite of it, instead of being mean, they're just not interested. Which is the worst thing for a man, is to not be interesting or embarrassed or not considered or any of that. Which is why I think a lot of men who watch, some of the men who watch it, sorry, um, I know quite a few men who do enjoy it, saw that and went, oh, I hate this because I feel like I'm being infantilized and not appreciated, when that's exactly what happens in almost every single other film that's centered around men. Yeah, it's true. No, I've, I've, um, I can see that, yeah. When you watched it, like, what, how did you feel about the way they treated the Thames? I mean, I think before it was, I don't think any, I don't think they were mistreating the Kens. I just think that they didn't, I think the Kens like, didn't have all this power that they had in the, in the real world kind of just as like you said accessories or well i remember noticing that they were kind of they were really desperate to fight yeah they were like to to get the barbie's attention i mean that did kind of it it did make me think a little bit about how how there is this whole thing about you know men fighting for women's attention which is also a patriarchal thing they were like i think it was a good um 
critique of, of that and it was a way to show that but I still don't think they, the Kens were like mistreated and then I think that it became very obvious how the, the how the real world was more um man focused right. and Ken had a was like very seen and respected and like I guess still not entirely because like he tries he goes in and tries to get a job like oh I want to work here and then um <laughs> they're like you can't can't do that and then oh i remember this the, when he says oh but i thought this was the patriarchy he, the other person is like yeah it, it, it is but we, we just don't say it out loud or something like that or we just we just do a better job of hiding it now yeah. but you know he he's looking for some sense of identity and what's been given to him by the patriarchy is it's what you own what you have how much you consume what you look like you're you know which long distance not low commitment something girlfriend or whatever the term is, which may be like very hard, like how hot she is. Mm. I think a lot of men, if they look at it, will probably feel seen because that's what they're told, I think. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. Did you ever, I mean, neurodivergent people have a different way of thinking about things, but did you ever notice, you know, this is what people around you were a bit like, like it was what shoes you wore, how hot your girlfriend was, you know, how big your father's car is. Yeah, I guess I started noticing it more when I was a teenager. Those were the standards of what you were supposed, like what you were supposed to be like uh, if you were a guy or like, you know, you have to have uh, an attractive girlfriend and, you know, a big car and like all these things and... Yeah, like I and I guess I did I as a neurodivergent person perhaps I, I never really bought into that maybe or I didn't think that it was or I was confused by it. The people at my school would go to like they liked to get fake IDs and go to like bars and parties and stuff and I I didn't want to do that because it didn't make sense. I think it was never my thing. Um, I think it mainly because of sensory overload and stuff but also it was like I didn't really buy into that kind of culture I didn't see like it just all felt kind of like staged and it's one of the things that socially isolates you you know as a mm -hmm. kid it's looking yeah. at the constructs or people growing up around you and accepting certain social norms and, mm -hmm. and you pointing them out and going but why uh, you know it's something that was seen as socially awkward for me to say mm. You know, or me going, yeah, I'd kind of just rather rather stay at home today. Yeah. Um, maybe don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Because don't know how to behave yourself in mm -hmm. public, and I don't want really to be associated with mm -hmm. you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Like, I didn't really want to be associated with, like, you know, if they were going to go out with fake IDs. And aside from the fact that I didn't like that kind of environment anyways, I didn't want to be associated with, like, that mentality or like mm -hmm. so we have to build a certain amount of trust as neurodivergent people mm -hmm. with, with authoritative figures in order to get our needs met or even looked at so you can't it sometimes feels for certain neurodivergent people you can't it, it's harder because you, you lose more mm -hmm. if you get a job yeah and I think there's a bit of that with Barbie you know she's looking there's a bit of that neurodivergent sense about her in that way is that when she goes into the real world, you know, she's like, why is this happening? Why? <laughs> it's just all confusing to her. Which I think is very much what happens, you know, if you take a neurodivergent person and plot them in a situation that's so informed by capitalism and patriarchal values that they don't, you know, don't agree with. They just mm -hmm. go, no. And what happens is they get treated poorly. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. Like, I mean, of course, even though it's different, 
neurodivergent, neurotypical is different than a woman, a white woman in a in a patriarchal society. But but I could relate to like that experience of of being plopped in a world where it doesn't make any sense. And yeah. I do find it interesting that the, the only reason like it wouldn't make sense to her as a woman or that she would even have this much confidence as a woman, and this is what Barbie Land represents, the only way that we can imagine someone who presents as a woman being that confident, being that like kind of self-aware and, and not caring as much about what they want without being particularly mean either, right, mm-hmm. is if there's no precedent or they just have no understanding of the actual social rules. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can even imagine that that's why barbie world is there because it's so intricately linked in our lives that we have to create another reality to even imagine how women like that can come to be yeah what did you think of of weird barbie i loved the nod to girls playing with dolls too hard you know cut their hair and set them set the hair on fire and you know and also put them in the splits which is also very exciting and they're just stuck like that I love that they included that, but it was, I think, one of the only nods to any neurodivergent slash queer person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in yeah. And she was the only one that was slightly fruity. Well, only, only like, female presenting Barbie that was slightly fruity. There were quite a few Kens that were, and I respect that. The idea that she lives in this misshapen kind of house that doesn't fit anything else you've ever seen, you know, mm-hmm. She knows all the things and how everything works because she's had to figure it out. That's, I think, is a fairly, is as close to neurodivergent as we're going to get in this film. Do you feel like there could have been more neurodivergent representation? And like, what would, what would some of that, like, in your opinion, what would it, how, what would one way they could do that? that, that? Part of the issue is that, and this is why we have, you have this podcast, Mm -hmm. is that we don't have a lot of representation, especially of neurodivergent women. Yeah. Even our, the, the representation of neurodivergent men isn't that great. <laughs> no, no, really not. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even think that there's any rep, there's any non-binary neurodivergent representation. There is, but like not, not <laughs> something that is seen everywhere. I, yeah. I, there could be, in which case, mm-hmm. please do email someone and tell mm-hmm. us because maybe we're missing something. Barbies are, and the Barbie world is created, again, as we were saying, in the shadow and in reflection of a world that is patriarchally designed so all the barbies are very good at doing their assigned tasks right like every bar the male barbie is good at this the you know doctor barbie is this there's no one struggles with dyslexia they're just the perfect version of themselves Mm -hmm. which isn't to say that neurodivergent people aren't the perfect versions of themselves either but also perfection doesn't exist right yeah that's something that I think if you're an neurodivergent person and you look at barbie and she can do all of these things like she can just go to work she can just drive she can just do everything and if you're a divergent person who goes i struggle to sometimes remember to wash my hair you know you don't mm-hmm. see it. and the reason that's especially for women that's not seen anywhere including this film is because it's considered gross the one way the only time in this film that you see it is when barbie is depressed yeah and you get depression barbie who you know has weird hair and is watching the BBC's Pride and Prejudice for the seventh time in a row and has eaten all the starbursts and everything. Like, that's as, if that's mentally ill, Barbie, mm-hmm. which is as close as we're going to get to someone, but it's it's also seen as sad, yeah. which it is. There's no kind mm-hmm. of, there's no Barbie that's, say, very good at one thing, but that really struggles with something else. We don't really see that. Yeah, like, I wish we had seen that. I wish we had seen more, like, just 
someone that's different that like can't do things in conventional ways but can still excel and there's a way in which in the barbie world that would be like oh but you're good at this right or them just i can imagine that barbie for example say Mm -hmm. she's dyslexic but really good at painting i would love it if like someone asked her something she went oh no you can ask the other barbie she's very good at that if you need anything to do with painting you know, it would be interesting to see a Barbie who was just as confident yeah, and was not self-aware about the fact that, oh, I'm just not, this is not my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I think that's, yeah, exactly. Because I feel that, like, I have friends that they, like, I don't know, this whole, I mean, maybe this is, like, slightly different, but um, this whole neurodivergent thing, uh, I mean, not the whole neurodivergent thing, the this whole slate, this commercial auditioning thing where they basically, um, they have you, yeah, they have you like, um, cause it, it's interesting. Like I had my experience with this like a, a couple months ago where I, f- I figured out and I had no idea, but I figured out that the slate is a trap that they, it, it's like a trap to see if you're neurotypical enough when they say, in the clip before the audition that isn't even the audition they have you say your name location and vaccination status i later yeah. figured out that i'm supposed to say it in some kind of fun cheery way and well, you're supposed to the personality and then you're supposed to flip yeah yeah so it's i mean it's like what kind of personality like it's like they want a personality that's not my neurodivergent personality um and and then yeah, yeah. you think they want like they, they, and I'm sure, you know, neurotypical actors play it up too, so that the mm-hmm. difference between what is perceived as someone that's easy to work with and their character, right? I think mm-hmm. there's probably, they're looking, the directors are looking for someone who seems pleasant to work with. Which I feel like, that's the part that feels ableist. Yeah, that, that it's like, that's the part that feels ableist, that it's like, if you're not like this cheery, neurotypical person like if you're someone that's not um that's just like more literal or more monotone that that they consider like you know that you have to be like like they don't like you know like you can be a very lovely person and still not be like super cheery like the way they're thinking but I I feel like they don't even give a chance like they the the fact like because I read that they won't even watch the real audition that if they don't like the slate and i guess that that's what made me feel like and then you know like the plus the comments from my agent saying it looks like i have no fun in life just because i was like saying my name and location like the instructions oh like i have no fun in life and i would be no fun that like that that pissed me off like um also we i remember you told me that i was just, i'm so sorry i mean i'm laughing because it's so sad mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's frustrating it's just it's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah and so then i um i uh i actually had a friend of mine she came to my house a couple weeks ago because she had an audition um and it was like for a commercial and um and then apparently like they asked her, like, instead of having a script, it was, like, um, they asked her, like, what she does with her fun, um, what does she do for fun, or something like that. And then I remember she felt really, 
bad about it. Like I came, like she did the audition and I was upstairs and then I came down uh, and I asked her how it was. And then she said, uh, oh, that it was really bad. And then she was like blaming herself and she kept like calling herself stupid and everything because she didn't, because she felt like she didn't do... Like, she wasn't, like, she felt that they were just going to say, oh, this girl was weird and awkward and nervous. Because, like, she tried to talk a little bit about, like, how she likes working out and stuff and so-and-so and, like, make it into something. But she was, like, very nervous and awkward and, like, didn't know, like, how to exactly... Like, in the same situation, I would be, like, maybe a little different for her, but... um like, I felt that thing about, like, oh, yeah, they want you to, it's like, they want you to, like, we both agreed, like, it's, it's hard to know, like, what they want, because it's like, it's not like they're not even giving you a script or, like, something to prepare on, because, like, we're really good if we get, with our training and everything, if we get a script, and we can marinate in those emotions and those feelings and, like, that character, but then it's like, they want us to be, like, I feel like they want us to be a version of ourselves that we're not, that we're just not. Like, because she's actually talked, this friend has talked to me, um, I don't know if she's neurodivergent or not, but she has talked to me about um, feeling, like, very socially awkward in certain situations as well. Like, when she said that with her husband, like, they'll be, um, like, her husband is very chatty. And so they'll be, like, they'll run into a neighbor or something, and, like, he's, like, chatting, and he knows everything, he knows, like, what to say or whatever. And and then she's kind of, like, standing there, like, what do I say? Like, what, how do I do this? Women are, are technically supposed to be. We've been told we are the social buffers for men. Um, I think you kind of... It is interesting to hear as an actor in the way, I think, in connecting it to the Barbie movie, like, if you're a neurodiverse person who's an actor you are in some ways figuring out how to perfectly mask in order to survive because it's your job. <laughs> and when you have an actual character, then you can use your masking, you know, your, your, the trauma mm-hmm. of masking and the skills that you've learned to then create a character, mm-hmm. right? You mimic yeah. things, you do things, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, it's all the stuff that you were forced to learn to do as if, if you're, especially if you're autistic, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, you become a good mimic, you notice things other people wouldn't, you approach characters in a mm-hmm. certain way. There's a lot of strengths to it. But one of, I'd imagine the way dynamics is, and it seems, at least it seems interesting to me, is that you are a professional master now. So when someone is then, so you're used to that, right? Like that, you know mm-hmm. what the expectation is. This is the character. This is what they want from me. I can give it to them. The fact that then you are, and, and rightly so, you're confused by the fact that they're expecting you to play a second character, which is a masked version of what they want you to be as yourself. Yeah. In addition to the character that they want you to play. Yeah. It's being asked to do two roles at once and being, well, one paid for only one, probably not even being paid very well. Mm-hmm. No one communicates that to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's... Well, because they don't, it's like they don't see it because they think everyone is like that. Like they're, like they think everyone is like a certain way in the slate. It feels like they think that we're just kind of automatically that way in the slate, the way that they want or the way that they're thinking of. Whereas like you said, it's not, it's like I, for me, it's like a whole different, 
it's like I'm not being myself and then being my character in the audition. I'm having to like be this character that I don't even know. Like, because I feel like even though I am generally pretty high masking, like there's still things that I can't mask. Like I'm always going to have certain mannerisms and stuff in certain ways that are just not going to be able to mask. And I know for, for, mo for other people, it's even more like that. Um, and yeah, it's like, I'm, it's these two different things, but I don't even know, like if there were at least a script for what the slate was supposed to look like, maybe that would help or like some background of the character that supposed to be me, but it's not really me. Um, but is unfortunately like neurotypicals in that world mm -hmm. as an actor, what they're doing is objectifying you. You're a commodity. Mm -hmm. That is the unfortunate mm -hmm. I mean, everyone is, but, you know, people who are work in performance-based industries, yeah. people who make money for other people mm -hmm. are a product. Yeah. But, like, Barbie, mm -hmm. right? If you have this thing that's supposed to represent another thing, it's meant to also... There's a lot of standards put upon it, and it's not even treated like a real person. It's, it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, all these expectations are just of a character, just of a person trying to be a character. What hope do any actual people have? Yeah. They do make that point in the film. Like, this is mm -hmm. insane. Mm hmm Yeah. Um, and it's, it, you know, I think that's where it becomes, you know, a little more about, less about feminism and patriarchy. And we have a lot of that. Mm-hmm in the Barbie film, but, you know, it also tells men, like, you're, you're just Ken. Like, you can just exist. You can mm -hmm. just do this. You don't have to pretend to be this person. Yeah. In our mm -hmm. And what's lovely about the Barbie movie is that just saying that, I think there was a phrase, like, um, what was it that Barbie said? She was like, uh, by ex it was either, like, giving voice to the cognitive dissonance that it takes to be a woman in our, like, patriarchal world, something along those lines, has broken the spell of being, you know, has really has 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 removed some of its power even though that is it's important to keep discussing the dissonance because it can slightly alleviate the power um it doesn't fix it but in barbie world mm -hmm. because it's imaginary just knowing that this thing doesn't work the same way neurodivergent people are like well why does everyone like you know or me going why does everyone pretend to like this girl when they don't for me i did think at that age because i was probably you know eight or something that that would break the spell, right? Mm -hmm. I thought maybe they just don't know. Yeah. And they did. And it still didn't make a difference. And I think that's something that you kind of do see in the Barbie movie. It's just that in the Barbie movie, when they do it, everything gets fixed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It'd mm -hmm. be lovely if you didn't have to, you know, pretend to be two people in one audition. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's what I was telling her too. Like, it would be nice if we, um, if we could just be ourselves, or if we could just say, like, or if they could acknowledge, you know, or I even told her about my journey, because I, I felt bad when she was, like, blaming herself a lot, and I was like, you know, I used to blame myself a lot for, like, not, you know, knowing these, like, social, like, presentations or whatever, or how I'm supposed to be, but then I... I realize that, and it's hard, like, with these kind of situations where it's, like, for an audition and they're not gonna understand that, but, like, that I became more confident in just being, like, okay, I'm not, like we were saying earlier, like, I'm not 
good at this um, and that's okay. I don't need to keep like trying so hard to be like this, this neurotypical mask. I could just say I'm not good at this, but I'm good at that. And, um, but I think it's, we all struggle with it. Like, um, I think for herself as well, she's probably been, it's hard because it's the conditioning, you know, like you internalize that. You voice internalize like, no, it. And so, yeah, I don't think comes out. I don't, sorry to interrupt you. I don't think anyone is born, hopefully not with a voice that in, in their head that goes, you are stupid. You can't do this. Yeah, I, it, it becomes internalized. Because mm-hmm. if you see little kids that grow up and have advice, like, look, I'm doing this, or I'm so strong. Like, you know, they they're, want to try and do everything. They're tiny little scientists. They think everything is possible. And some of them don't grow out of that, my father included. Um, but, you know, and it's wonderful to see in actual people. Mm-hmm. When it, once they grow up, that they're still that way. But so much of that, you know, they the voice inside their heads... If I've asked a few friends like when who are down on themselves, I ask, well, if when you tell yourself that you're stupid, when you tell yourself that you mm-hmm. know you did something wrong or that you're a terrible human being or that you can't, you don't excel mm-hmm. at anything, you know, if you do hear, some people don't necessarily hear it as a voice; they just kind of feel it. Yeah. The ones that do hear it as a voice don't hear it in their own voice; they hear it as someone else's voice if they really think about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's to get to that point but that's not something that that's someone else's voice that you've internalized yeah that's what i think barbie was saying in the real world is that she was feeling all these things and she never felt them because she never felt a pressure especially survival pressure mm-hmm. to those things. yeah that um, makes sense yeah there, I, um, my friend I, I told my friend because she like this was when we were teenagers um she was having a really hard time and we were learning about um, like feminism in general. Like this was middle school. And um, I remember reading something I told her she was being really mean about herself. And I said, that voice is an older white man who doesn't know anything about your life. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's what I should have said. Oh my gosh. So yeah. What would you say to that weird old white Republican man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. making deci- now I would say making decisions about your reproductive autonomy. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with him, or would you tell him respectfully to fuck off? Yeah. yeah. Or read a book. Yeah. And she went, oh. And this, you know, there's different versions of this. There's lots of, you know, black people that have that white man voice in their head going, oh, you don't do that, you might get shot, you might do this, no one likes an angry black woman. You know, that's not allowed. And it's, it's internalized survival tactics because the repercussions of being yourself or speaking truth to power in any way can be death. Yeah. It's your brain trying to help you. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's also incarcerating you, not because it's your fault, but because it, it it's trying to preserve you. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's... And watching all of that, you kind of see a bit of that in the Barbie film, and that's what I, I do enjoy seeing Barbie World. It's for all of it to be simplified in that way. I mean, that's why using toys to demonstrate this point is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Instead of just making it one huge, like, here's Barbie and here's Ken. Like, deciding to take something really silly. <laughs> to make this point is, is kind of what satire is. Or in this case, it's farce. They're taking something that's obvious and they're making it more obvious. That's what farce is. 
but it helps us separate ourselves from our lived reality. Yeah. And we'll go, oh, that's stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully, you know, like, what was great about it is it did that for all the women in the theater. We understood as soon as it was happening. And it included real-life examples that we all felt very seen once we saw them. Like, I will, see, I will Ken was like, I, I'm going to play and sing the guitar at you. Mm-hmm. At you, at you. We're gonna, and then, you know, the, just the uncomfortable continuation of having to just smile and nod at this person who's trying to, you know, mm-hmm. impress you for four minutes, not even caring whether you actually want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of experience, but it's the parallels of how simple some of it is and how very, very relevant it is. And sometimes almost word for word relevant, it can be in the real world, Because we we can all be really silly. Yeah. Barbie, when she's at one point depressed, she goes, I'm just going to sit here and wait for more. One of the more, um, what was it? Like, um, it was like boss oriented or leadership oriented Barbies to deal with it, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. which is a critique of women who go like, I don't know what to do. So I'll just let one of the super feminists go do it. Like that's mm-hmm. not how it works. It's not how it works, but we've definitely met someone who has felt that way and quite rightly so because it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. it is poking a lot of fun of it at itself. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I do appreciate one, well, let's also mention Greta Gerwig has said she has ADHD. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other kind of neurodivergent traits she has, but it's the reason that she can get so into this world and point all these things out in such yeah. a way. Yeah. Maybe the neurodivergent character is Greta Gerwig. I've never considered mm-hmm. this. Maybe there is no neurodivergent character. Maybe the neurodivergent character is the director. Maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah, I guess that's why I thought that, like, because she had come out as ADHD and, and such, I, I, I did... I think that there would be, like, I thought there would be a neurodivergent character. Um, I think Barbie's quite close. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And Barbie has weird things happening, and she lives with other Barbie social outcasts, and she has models of everything, and um, really wants a job in sanitation for reasons that are never explained. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's very yeah. passionate about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's about as close as we get in that mm-hmm. world, but I think the, the fact that this entire film could be made with so many tiny details is the expression of a neurodivergent woman directing it. Yeah. So it could be that she is the neurodivergent character. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I never actually, if you're speaking to you about it, I actually never kind of came to that conclusion, but I do think you can look at it that way. Yeah, it's true. You can. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like the film does have a pretty neurodivergent coded feel to it. So I could definitely see that. Well, on that note, I think we've covered pretty much everything. Thank you once again, X, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time.